Amen. Well, I don't know if you've caught any of the installments of this series, but it's called Breaking Free. And we've been discussing a variety of things over the past few weeks. And the first one was kind of a, just a general kind of topic around how, what these kind of strongholds are and how that happens. And, and then the following week after that was, was on addiction, is, is really breaking that and overcoming addiction, that lie that, 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 that sometimes gets a hold of us. And last week was really hot and steamy, I'm telling telling you it was on sex it was it was on overcoming sex and so if you're interested in hearing a preacher talk about sex you can go watch that I mean if you want that was a joke guys Jeez, are you with me this morning all right all right because that was a little weak so help me this morning okay I need your help uh but but you know But I fundamentally believe that there are all kinds of things in this life that we have to overcome. And part of the reason I talked about addiction is I feel like that's something that we have to overcome. And sometimes we don't understand that it's not just it's not just people who struggle with the big things. It's also things that we struggle with that are, quote, the little things that we've got to get free from as well. And then last week, you know, like I said, I talked about sex, and I think sex has become one of those things that is a super big stronghold in our culture. And so I just want to encourage you to go check that out. But today I want to deal with something that I believe is also important in breaking free of, and I'll explain to you why in just a second. All right, it won't take much to convince you of this, but, but I think it's a really important one. But I want to start with our series verse this morning, and that's in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 through 5. And uh, so, so I've been reading this verse throughout the entire series, but I want to share it with you again so that we're all on the same page. And that is this, starting in verse 3 of 2 Corinthians chapter 10. For though we live in this world, we do not wage war as the world does. In other words, the way that we wage war, war is different. He said the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. So we don't fight with tanks and bombs and knives and guns. He goes on, he says, on the contrary... They have, and that's you and me, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it says that they have divine power. Did you see that? Not normal power, just not a little power, not just like, you know, but divine power. This is the same kind of power that created the universe. You understand that? That's, that's a lot of power. You know, did you create the universe? I, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. But yet the Bible says that's the kind of power that I have access to in my life. That's a pretty big deal. I'm just saying. Isn't that a big deal? And so there's this divine power that's there to demolish, say it with me, strongholds. Strongholds. That's what this entire series is about, is being able to demolish the strongholds in our life and overcome those strongholds. And then he goes on to say, Paul says, we demolish arguments and every pretension, or, or let's just say pretending, that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And then look at this, we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And so what he's saying to us is that we've got to understand that a lot of this starts in our mind. That there is a battle going on in our mind, and if we do not win that battle, we lose the fight. We lose the war. Making sense? And so it starts in our mind, and he says what we have to do is take all those thoughts. I have some thoughts. You ever had some thoughts that you're like, wow, where'd that come from? I can't believe I thought that about that person. You know, or I can't believe I thought I was going to stick them with my pencil. You never had that thought? Only in the movies, you know, only in the movies. 
But, but, but sometimes we get angry. Sometimes we get hurt. We get frustrated. And we have these thoughts. And, 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 and the truth is, if we're left to our own devices, human beings have gotten really creative at hurting one another. True? And so, so, so what happens is if we don't demolish these things, the mind gets overtaken. And when the mind gets overtaken, lots of bad things happen in our life. And the Bible is saying that we have to grab hold of these thoughts, put them under the Word of God and under the obedience of Jesus Christ. That's, that's what it's saying. And so this series is all about taking hold of those things and making sure that we can put them under the authority of Christ because the Bible says that when you do that, when you do that, you can be free. Make sense? That's the entire series in a nutshell, just to kind of help you. But today I want to zero in on something that I believe is very important. And that is that 50% more plus of the prayer request cards that we get in this church. And matter of fact, I'd go as far as to say across America, 50% of the cards that we typically get on a weekend for prayer is around the issue of finances. Now, it's sure, it's about healing. But it's also about the issue of finances. So the point I'm trying to make to you is that I know that nobody likes the preacher to talk about money, but everybody's willing to send in a card. Isn't that interesting? So you don't want us to talk about it, but everybody wants us to pray about it. And so today, I'm going to pray about it, but I'm also going to talk about it. Because I believe that the Word of God has something to say about it. And we want to wander through life thinking if we'll just do it this way or how this person did it or what that guy told me or what that gal told me. That if I just do it that way, somehow it's going to work out. Here's the problem. That the Bible has a very specific way about how things work out in this area. Because see, money lies to us. Resources lie to us. See, see, and I want to prove that to you this morning because I think what happens is, is, is we, we forget... We forget that there's something happening that isn't just in the physical. Remember, we're fighting strongholds, principalities, things that are beyond us. And all that we see is what's in front of us. We see the dollar bill and we forget that there's more happening. And God wants us to see the more. He wants us to see what's really happening. And so today I'm really excited. I, 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 I'm very excited to share this with you. But we have to start with what money is, how it lies to us, so that we can understand what God's plan is. Because I don't know about you, I want to reduce the amount of prayer, prayer request cards that come in. Because I want to see people's finances working. I want to see their lives blessed. Because God wants to see that too. And so you have to understand how God set it up so that you can maybe embrace that. But I want to start here in, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16. And I'm going to read from 9 to 13. And I'm actually going to read from the New King James Version. Not because I'm trying to confuse you. Because some of you are like, oh no, not that. Right? I'm not trying to confuse you. But there are a couple of words I want you to see in the text that don't come out in, more, in the more modern translations, okay? you got to see these words because they really help you understand what's going on. And so I'm going to start in verse 9 of chapter 16 of Luke. And, and just stick with me if it sounds a little jumbled. I'll explain it, okay, as we go. And I said, starting here in verse 9, And I say to you, make friends for yourself by unrighteous mammon. That's kind of confusing and weird, but we'll get to that. That when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. So, so he's saying that something about this unrighteous mammon, 
making sure you use it in the right way that in eternity, somehow you're going to be received by this group of people. So that's kind of the thing going on. He says, He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. Perhaps you've heard that. Because, you know, sometimes we want much, but we're unwilling to be faithful in the little. And that's not good. Because, see, God's economy doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Because he's, all, he's always interested in stewardship. God is always interested in managing what he's given you well. And then he goes on and he says this. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Making sense? He says, therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? So he's trying to say, if you're not even faithful with this stuff, how in the world are you going to be faithful with this stuff? Making sense. And if you have been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? So he's asking a couple questions. No servant can serve two masters, for there he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You see what he's doing there? He's saying that you have to make a choice. You can't dabble in it. You can't kind of try to straddle the fence. Come on. He says this at the end. He says, you cannot serve God and mammon. Now, you've, perhaps you've heard me talk about mammon and you've already checked out, but I want you to tune back in because mammon is important, all right? Amen? Amen? Amen. And so it's mentioned three times in this passage of Scripture, and there's a reason for it because God is trying to get us to see that it's not just about the physical. It's not just about money. It's not just about what you see or what you don't see. It's more than that. He's saying that there is something about this that we've got to get a hold of that is greater than what we see. And, and part of what he's trying to get us to see, and it's very simple, and I'm going to talk very clearly about this in just a moment, but I want to just tease it out there. And that is, is how do I get God's spirit on my money? Make sense? How do I get God's blessing on the money I have or on the resources or whatever it is that I have? Does that make sense? Because all of us, if I said that to you, you would all say, I want that. I mean, why wouldn't you want God's blessing on it? And so, so there's a very clear way to do that. And so we've got to understand that way and what it isn't as well. Because, see, mammon is not just uh, this kind of physical idea. It's actually more of a spiritual idea. It literally means riches. And it kind of has this sense of that riches uh, uh, have kind of got us. Does that make sense? In other words, there's a spirit of mammon that grabs hold of us. And what it does is it steals from us. It takes from us. It begins to confuse us. And it actually makes us think... Sometimes that we're just sufficient in and of ourselves. Because see, when you have enough money, there's this idea that somehow I'm going to be okay. And so we create this world that's based in our own sufficiency. And God has no interest in you being self-sufficient, my friends. He has no interest in it. And so the Bible says to us that we have to understand that there's more going on in this. And so our money is designed to be, to be submitted to God and to have His Spirit on it. But conversely, if we don't get this right, 
what will happen is a different spirit, which he's calling mammon, will get on our resources and that will keep us from God's best. Is that making sense? And so we have to understand there's more going on than we see. And I'll prove it to you because I, I, what I've discovered is that there are a lot of things that we will do for money. You know what I'm talking about? We'll do a lot of things for money. Have you ever played the game? You know, hey, if I gave you a million dollars, right? Would you do X? You know what I'm talking about? Well, there were these researchers that actually took that and ran with it a little bit. And they did this massive research study. And it was really actually quite interesting. But they asked this question. It's basically, what would you do for $10 million? You know, what would you be willing to do for $10 million? Get that. Now, some of you are like, anything? <laughs> you know, some of you got some morals. You're like, well, I wouldn't do that at least. But, you know, but you see what I'm saying? Like $10 million, people. I mean, this is a lot of money. And so the research came back, and I just wanted to share a few of these. I won't share them all, but I thought a few of these were kind of interesting. Uh, and so these were just a couple that people, modern Americans today, this is what they would do if they had $10 million to get $10 million. The first is 25% would abandon their entire family. I know, and you, you shake your head like, I wouldn't do that. Isn't that funny? But yet 25% of Americans said they would. Isn't that interesting? We abandoned our entire family. It's so good. Go back up. Go back up. Right there. The next one is 23% would become prostitutes for a week. I'm not, this wasn't just on like eBay or, well, no, wait, Google. <laughs> eBay. So funny. This was research, guys. This was, this was done with a lot of people. 23% would do that. 16% would give up their American citizenship for $10 million. Would you do that? Some of you are like, yeah, I would, shoot. Next is 10% would withhold their testimony, letting a murderer go free. Can you believe this? I mean, that's, that's pretty significant that somebody would do that, wouldn't they? How about this? 7% would kill a total stranger. I, I know none of you would do this because you're all much higher than most Americans. But then watch this, 3% would put their children up for adoption. 3%. And some of you are like, I'd do that for free. You know what I'm saying? I'd do that. I'll do that for free. Matter of fact, I'll pay you to take them in Jesus' name, all right? But what would you do for $10 million? Isn't that interesting? I just think it's interesting how, how, how this can get a hold of us, that we're really willing to sacrifice things that are so important, so vital to who we are as human beings and who we are as children, sons and daughters of God, that we're willing to sacrifice so much to get this. And, and I, I share that example with you because that's what mammon does. Mammon leads us to a place where we'll do awful things to get shiny things. We'll sacrifice things that are the most important to us. And let me just say this to you. God's intent and plan for your life is not that. It's not. His plan for you is that you would have more than enough. And that you'd be able to lay your head on your pillow at night with the peace of God all over your life. Enough margin to be able to live healthy, whole, joyful, peaceful, even sometimes in the midst of storms. 
And if we'll do it God's way, what you'll find is that it works. Amen? It works. It's been happening for a long, long time before Dave Ramsey showed up or anybody else. It's been working. And God wants us to see that today. And so I hope today that this is something that you want to grab hold of because I believe that God wants to do something. But it is true that money lies to us. And the first thing I think that money does is that money will make me, uh, make me uh, have this sense of security. It'll make me feel secure. And that that's a lie that sometimes we buy into. Listen to this in Hebrews 13, 5 through 6. Keep your lives free from what the love of money and be content with what you have because God said, listen to this, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, not like this, uh, I want to tell you a little bit about Jesus and I think he's going to do some great things in your life. Nope. Confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid because most of the time we don't give because we're afraid. Matter of fact, I'd say it's the number one reason we do not give. It's fear. Amen? <laughs> Some of you are like, well, I don't know. I don't know. It is. I'm telling you. <laughs> what can mere mortals do to me is what he says. It's like, what is this world going to do to me? And the point he's trying to get at is, look, 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 look. It's not that money is bad. He's trying to see that, that when we have an affection for money, like you get it? The love of money, the love of money, this mammon, the spirit of mammon that grabs hold of us, it begins to steal what God wants to give us. You see it. And then he says, and the reason that happens is that we forget that God already said, I will not leave you or forsake you no matter what. I don't care how bad it is today. God says in his word that he's got you. That's what he's saying. That's what he got us here. Now, we clap, but we don't always live into it. We clap and we say, yeah, praise God. But, and that's an ascend. We're affirming that idea, but we don't always operate out of that idea. We start to get fearful. We get concerned. It's like, God, do you really have me? I mean, and, and, and we start to question, which is the same thing that the devil tried to convince Adam and Eve of, is did God really say it? Because see, what happens is when we start to think that he didn't say it, we start to think that we've got to do something. And if we don't do something, come on, Americans, if we don't do something, what happens is it ain't going to happen. Because you got to get out there and make yours you got to hustle. you got to get after it. you got to, you know what I'm saying? And I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying don't ever forget that the only reason you can hustle is because God gave you the ability to hustle. Come on. That's what he's given you. He wants you to be successful. He wants you to be strong. But you have to understand how God does it. And so money, this lie that money will make us secure is just absolutely, absolutely false. And sometimes what happens is we start to, we don't get this right. We start, to, we start to think that money's bad. But see, the truth is the Bible says money's not bad. The Bible just says that, look, it's okay to have stuff. It's just not okay for stuff to have you. And I've found that one of the greatest tests to discover whether or not money has you is whether or not you'll give to God what's God's. It's a test. And the Lord brings that test into our life. 
Not to show us, or not to prove to him what's really in you, but to prove to you what's really in you. He's trying to help you because he loves you. You get it? And so I've always asked people, it's like, how much is enough? You ever ask that question? How much really is enough, you know? Like, at what point do you finally just get to a place and you're like, man, I was reading this article today I thought was really interesting. No, not today, yesterday. I was reading this article about Aretha Franklin. You know, she passed recently, and, and uh, they're working on her estate and everything. And, and uh, this article was really interesting because she had, like, these checks in her house that she had never even cashed. Like, one was, like, for, like, $700,000, and one was, like, for $200,000. I mean, it was literally, I mean, it was just, it, like, totaled almost a million dollars that she just had lying around in checks. You know what I'm saying? That's somebody that has a lot of money. <laughs> right? I mean, she just had a lot of money, I guess. Didn't, uh, maybe she didn't. Matter of fact, the article goes on to say that she spent, uh, that there were times that she had a check like that was ca- given to her like 10 years before that people had to come back and get the bank to, to reissue it because it had expired. Like, <laughs> isn't that funny? So apparently Aretha wasn't really all that concerned with the money. You know what I mean? She apparently didn't have much concern for it, I guess. But, but, you know, but it is an interesting question to think, how much do I really know? At what point will I just kind of leave checks around? You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> at what point is that going to happen? I don't know. I don't know what that is for you. It's probably different for all of us, you know. And, and, uh, but, but I just thought that was an interesting question is how much is really enough? And the thing that's probably true is that it's, it's, it's more than you currently have. That's probably the answer. Because that's how we get trapped in the loop is that we keep wanting more and more and more. And the thing I've discovered about more is as we, as we want more, we, we want more, it actually creates an appetite just for more. And sometimes more isn't better, especially if we can't manage what we've been given. And I'll, I'll get to that in a second. And the other thing that money lies to us about is money will make me significant. Come on. We know that's not true. Listen to this in Luke 12, 15. It says, then he said, beware Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured in how much you own. So in other words, what he's saying is that money's not going to make you significant. And matter of fact, the other thing I figured out about human beings, I have never in my life been pastoring for however many years I've been pastoring. I've never had anybody come to me and say, you know, pastor, I'm really struggling with greed. Can you help me? Never. Because nobody thinks they're greedy. (laughs) And yet the Bible says, hey, 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 hey. Well, if you allow this mammon to get on you, you actually might become greedy. And it's something that you have to understand. It's never going to make you significant because your significance is found in the very one that created you. Your significance is found in the one that calls you son, the one that calls you daughter. You get this? And when your significance is found there, it's secure because he is unchanging. And so when we find our significance in the people around us, the money we have, the stuff, whatever it is, your job, when we find our significance in those things, what can happen? When those things leave, what happens to us? You get it, right? Life changes. It's always going to change. But when we find that our significance is there, we're in real trouble. And that's what money does. It lies to us that way. Here's another one, and I'll kind of end this section. But another lie that I believe money gives us is money will make me happy. (laughs) <laughs> I know that no one believes that, right? You don't believe that. And yet, we pursue it like it's true. If I just had a little bit more, right? But if this was true, wouldn't all rich people be happy? 
And let me tell you, I know some rich folk, and not all of them are happy. Many of them are miserable because it's not, it's not about the money. It's about their foundation. It's about who's in charge. It's about who has them, right? And when that gets right, the Bible says that we're going to be all right. See, Ecclesiastes 5.10 says it this way. Those who love money will never have enough. See it? It's in the scripture. It's pretty clear. How absurd to think that wealth brings true happiness. Did you get it? That wasn't complicated. It's very straightforward. And then watch this in Romans. Come on, this is what you should be happy about. Romans 4, 7 through 8. Happy are those whose sins are forgiven. Whose wrongs are pardoned. I like that. Happy is the person whom the Lord does not consider guilty. Now see, it shouldn't be money that makes us want to give God a praise break. It gives we should give God a praise break because he has forgiven us and provided a way for us to make sure that he's going to take care of us both now and in the future, which does deserve a praise break. Because this is what the Bible says. And look, this is what I know. If you tithe, which we'll get to that in a second. If you are a tither, you know this. If I said to you, hey, if you're a tither, what are you? You would probably say to me, blessed. That's what you'd say. Because most people I meet that tithe are blessed. They may not be like every bank account is flowing. No, no, no. But they know that they're blessed because they're honoring God with what they're supposed to. And God blesses that. That's what he does. Now, here's the other thing I know about non-tithers. Non-tithers, this is where it gets real, guys. Okay, you all right? You all right? This is where it gets real. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it's important you see this. Non-tithers. What I hear often is, I can't afford to tithe, pastor. And I get that. And so today, I'm not trying to give you guilt or anything like that. But I do want to say something to you that has a little stink on it. Because it's true. It's going to help you. But you've got to hear it. It's important you hear this, and, and that is, is I, the idea that I can't afford to is actually going to lead you to a place that you will never be able to. Because, see, what happens is there's a lack of faith there. There's a lack of trust in God. There's a fear that's come over you, and you're starting to believe that it's not possible. And the last time I checked, the Bible says that the thing that pleases God most is faith. We can't please God without faith, the Bible says. And so what happens, if I'm willing to take a step of faith, God will meet me in that step. But I can promise you this, he is not going to release it until you step. You want it, but he's looking for the step. You know what I'm saying? And that's the thing you've got to understand. But often we like, well, I just can't. And I'm just saying, well, that's fine. You can do that. But you're never going to be able to experience what God has for you until you take that step. You ever seen that movie with uh, Indiana Jones? You know, and he steps out on the ledge, and you can't see the ledge, but, it, but, but once he steps out on the ledge, you can see the ledge, and then he throws dirt on it, and, oh, look, it was there all along. <laughs> That's the point, is that there's a step of faith that you have to take, and as you look at it, it's like, man, that's a scary step, because I could fall to my death. And here's the thing you have to understand. Sure, you could fall to your death, but God still got you. Even if you die in this world, God has you. 
And we get so focused on the temporary. I'm just saying, I don't know if you know this, heaven's better than this place. But, but we don't live that way. And so even if I die, I get to be with God. What's the problem? And so we need to understand how God set it up. And so I want to give you just a few things about how do we get God's blessing, how do we get God's spirit on our resources, because that's how I want to end today, because I think it's going to help you if you'll listen, all right? And so I'm going to be a little bold. I haven't been very bold yet, okay? Maybe I have. But, but I'm going to be a little more bold here, and all I need you to do is say, you know, I'm going to try. I'm going to try, um, and, and, and I'll say this as well. You can take it or leave it. I, I don't expect you if, you, if you don't want it, don't take it. But I'm telling you, you'll want it. Because God will work in your lives in ways that you can't predict at all. And so God wants to meet you in this if you'll allow him. But I want to read something out of Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. Perhaps you've heard this, I've preached on it before. But, but I want to share just a few things. And that is starting here in verse 6 of Malachi chapter 3. Listen, I, the Lord... Do not change. Guys, there's so much theological good stuff wrapped up in just that statement. Like we could spend 18 weeks on that statement. Matter of fact, someday I'm going to do it just to prove it to you. Like I'm not making preacher stuff up. It's true. Because that, there's so much wrapped up in that that is so important for us as people is that in a world that changes constantly, in relationships that change constantly, in markets that go up and down, up and down, recessions and no, you know what I'm getting at. God says, I do not change. And if you get these principles right, they are true today, they were true yesterday, and they'll be true in the future. Because why? Because God said they are. Here they are, and I'm going to share them with you. They're really good. He says, ever since the time of your ancestors, this is the prophet Malachi speaking to the people of Israel, which, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you were grafted into this same promise. Listen to this. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he says, the ancestors you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. You ever felt like that? You ever felt like you didn't keep the decrees of God? Well, I guarantee you Israel did. He, says, he goes on, he says, return to me, and I'll return to you. In other words, what he's saying is repent. Get this right. He says, and then he goes on, he says, but you ask, how, how, how are we supposed to return, he says. Will a mere mortal rob God is the question. He says, yet you rob me. Come on, come on. That's a little harsh, Malachi. But he's a prophet, so we expect it. So he says, you know, you rob me. He says, but, but you ask, well, how, how am I robbing you? And he goes on. He says, in tithes and offerings. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. And he goes on. He says, you are under a curse. Uh-oh. That's even worse. Think about a stronghold. Curse is a stronghold. He says that you're under this stronghold. As a matter of fact, he goes on. He says, the whole nation. He's all, all of you are under it. And then he goes on. He says, because you're robbing me. And then he says this. You want to know how to do it? Here it is. Bring the whole tithe. Not part of the tithe. Not some of the tithe. Not a little bit of the tithe. Not just this. Do, 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 do. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Man, I could go off on this one. Have you ever wondered why doesn't the church have more? 
Why, doesn't, why can't we do more? Why can't, you know, it, the Bible just said that we don't have enough food in the storehouse when people aren't faithful to God. And the only reason we don't have enough food in the storehouse is not because God doesn't want to bless it. It's because the people of God aren't doing what God told them to do. Because see, when we do that, I'm telling you guys, you think I'm dumb. I'm telling you. No, you don't probably think that. But <laughs> some of you might think that, but I don't care. If every person in this church alone would tithe, our budget would triple. Triple! Come on. I'll just leave that. I'll let that sit out there for you. Take it, leave it. Take it, leave it. But then watch this. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out such a blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Mm-hmm. That just makes you want to write a song and sing, doesn't it? But that's what he says. He's like, test me in this. I love that. Only place in the Bible God ever said that. Matter of fact, he says, don't do that. But for whatever reason, in this moment, he says, do it. Because what he's trying to get you to see is that you will do it my way, man. I will show up. And I'll do infinitely more than you can think or imagine is what Ephesians 3.20 says. Right? So we got to get God's spirit on it. I will, and then this is even better. So, you know, like, you're just like, you know how it's like, that's a good deal. Right? Then, then they give you a little more, and you're like, that, that's a better deal. He goes on. He says, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. The Bible talks about the devil as a devourer. The enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy everything that God wants to give you. And some of us are living under the authority of mammon. And the devourer is eating everything that God wants to give us. And what Malachi says is, you know you can fix this today. The only thing you have to do is turn and begin to do it God's way. And watch God open up his blessings in your life. I don't know if you believe this today, but if you do, take a step. I love that. I love that my finances are in the hands of God. Because, guys, I'm not smart enough. I'm just not. I don't understand markets. Some of you do. Praise God for you. But that could lead to your own pride. Your self-reliance. Isn't that true? I think that's true. And then he goes on, he says this, he says, and the, the vines in your field will not drop their fruit before they're ripe. It's just going to be a beautiful thing. And then he says, then all the nations will call you blessed and you will be a delight in the land. Come on, it's so good. Yes and amen. I need that. See, the tithe means a tenth part. It's a tenth part of our income. And, and I want to talk and I'm going to give you just three very clear things. But here's the thing you have to understand. You have to do all three. Okay? You have to do all three if you want to see this happen in your life. If you want to overcome financial strongholds, you've got to do all three. Here they are. Number one is you've got to return the first. You've got to return the first to God. In other words, I have to put God first in my life, in my time, my talent, my treasures, all the areas of my life. We have to return the first. That means even the first of my week. You heard me talk last week, I think, about how I need to wake up in the morning and not grab my phone. I need to make sure I grab God. 
I need to make sure I, I put him first. You've got to be able to put him first in every area of your life. This supersedes money. This principle goes beyond just the shiny things. It's something that God wants for our life. Why? Because he desires worship more than he desires anything else. He wants us to worship him. And so we have to return the first to him. And that's why one of the reasons we do 21 days at different seasons, 21 days of prayer and fasting in January, and then we do 21 days this next month in, in September as we begin the fall, or we want to get God in our business. You know what I'm saying? And so we want to give him first. And here's the thing I'll tell you about Elevation Church. We are blessed. Like we're not hurting there is not a scarcity mindset in this church. And as long as I'm the pastor, it's not going to happen. But I can tell you this, we are blessed. And the reason we're blessed is because we're doing it God's way. That's it, my friends. I mean, right now our budget is probably, what is it, like a little over, we set it at about $450,000 or $60,000. That's pretty significant money. For a church this size, my friends, that's actually a, a, a large amount of money. But and here's another thing that you may or may not know. That our, our uh, per capita giving is over $50. Now, you're like, so? Churches our size across America tend to be in the 20s. I, I don't feel like that hit you very good. I don't know if that hit you very good because... That is significant. And so my point is, is that God is working in our church. Our finances are blessed. We are out there giving. Matter of fact, we tithe on our budget. We give 10% away to missions. We want to advance God's kingdom. We, we want to be the most generous place on earth. Why? So that our storehouses will be empty? No, so that they'll be full. As we do it God's way, as we become that, massive things are going to happen. I love it. And here's the other thing. We don't have any debt as a church. We have none. So my point is, is that when we return the first to God, God blesses it just like he says. He'll do the same thing in your life. He'll do the same thing in other churches' life. That's what God does. He's faithful. And sometimes people ask me, well, pastor, should I tithe on the gross or the net? And I just say to you, do you want a gross or a net blessing? Because <laughs> the Bible says, sow seed. And what does it say? Sow as much seed as you possibly can. And as you sow that seed, you'll get that kind of return. So if you want to sow some seed, sow it on the gross. Get a little bit more. I don't care. Go net. Whatever. The point is, is your heart. Are you submitting it to God because you trust him with your finances? Okay. But see, here's the, here's the one thing you have to understand. It's not about the same amount. It's not about the same amount. It's the same or equal sacrifice. All of us are designed by God to do this. And so let's do it. So that's the number one. We have to return to the first. Number two, and we have to do all three. Number two is we have to steward the rest. So what are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that you just can't walk around and do whatever the heck you want with the 90. Now, it's yours. It's yours. But the Bible says you're designed to steward it. You're designed to steward the rest because here's the point. It's not about God wanting to take something from you. He's trying to get you to see that you have to install some principles that are going to actually lead to the blessings. You actually have to take some responsibility to this. In other words, if you have no margin in your finances, if you don't live under a budget, my friends, that's a problem. The Bible would consider that unwise. And you don't want to be unwise. 
And so one of the things that we have to understand is we have to steward what we are given and do that well. We can't just do whatever we want. Proverbs 21.5 says it this way. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. And so we have to make sure that we're being focused. If you're here today and you don't know how to live by a budget, let us know. We would love to invest in you. I have some super smart people around me that would be more than happy to help you figure out how to put yourself on a budget. Matter of fact, how to get out of debt. How to begin to do some things in your life to create margin so that you can be the generous person that you want to be. Because one of the reasons Americans, and particularly Christians in particular, said that already, uh, is that, that one of the reasons we can't be generous is we have no margin or we're in debt at such a level that we're living beyond our means. And so most Americans have so much credit card debt that it's hard for them to be generous. Well, we've got to figure that out, right? Does that make sense? Some of you are like, okay, please stop. Number one, we've got to return to the first. Number two, steward the rest. And then number three, I'll be, I'll be done with this, is we've got to focus on true riches. We've got to focus on true riches because sometimes we think that true riches is the next car we get or the cool house or the new clothes or whatever. And I'm just telling you, my friends, it's not true riches. The Bible is very clear about what true riches are. And true riches are very simple. I'll say it to you is one word, people. And the reason people are the most important thing is because people are the only things that last for eternity. Every one of you have a soul, whether you know it or not. Every one of you have a spirit in you because God made you that way. And what that means is that someday when you die, you will live on. The choice is whether or not you will live with him in eternity or not. That's what the Bible says. And so my friends, what I'm trying to get you to see is that our job on this earth is to make sure we populate heaven with as many of God's kids as we possibly can. That is what the Bible would call true riches. Did you notice that the unrighteous mammon was used in such a way that somebody would meet you in eternity? That's how it was invested. In other words, this mammon, this money, this stuff that doesn't belong to God was even being used for, for that. And, and what the Bible says is in just a simple way that these people would meet you in heaven. And I don't know about you, but I want to be more intentional about that. I want to make sure that I'm, I'm, I'm committed to that. I want to see as many people in heaven as I possibly can. That's what true riches are. That's what the Bible says. Listen to this in Luke chapter 12, 16 through 21, and I'll end with this. And he says, and he, and he told this parable. Jesus is telling this parable. He said, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? You ever had abundant harvest? He says, what shall I do? He says, I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there will be, there I will store my surplus of grain. What good is grain that's stored in a barn? Well, it could be used for the future. That's true. But I want to read on a little bit more. It says, and I'll say to myself, I have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Look at this. I'll take life easy, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool. I don't want to be a fool. The Bible, it's not good in the Bible to be called a fool. He says, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then you will get what you have prepared for yourself. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. That's sobering. 
And I tell you, I live in this tension as your pastor is I want to have margin. You know, I want money in the bank. But sometimes, guys, I get a little concerned if we have too much money in the bank. Because I know the human tendency. The human tendency is to begin to rely on ourselves. To begin to rely on our own minds, our own wisdom. And I'm just telling you, I would rather spend it all to the ground and get to heaven and God say, hey, man, thank you for burning it. Thank you for not just building bigger barns. Thank you for being willing to spend the whole lot. Why? So that I could have a nicer house? No, so that I could get more kids into heaven. So that I could see the people coming into heaven. That when I get to heaven, God will say, Whoo, boy, that's a lot of people you have with you. And I'll say, I know. <laughs> Wouldn't you like that? Someday you're going to get home and God is going to say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. You didn't build just bigger barns. Hey, have a nice barn, but don't take the money for the kingdom and squander it and store it in some place that never gets used. You, does that make sense, what I'm saying? Because we have to live our life in such a way that we put him first, that we steward the rest, that we focus on true riches, because here's the secret. Even if we spend down our entire barn, God still says he will bless us. That's what he says. So we don't ever have to be worried. That's the good news, my friends. And so I hope you grab hold of this truth. I hope it, it, it begins to permeate your life and that you begin to, 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 to feel, experience, and know that God is faithful and that he wants to bless you in ways that you can't think or imagine. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you for each person in this room. I thank you for all that you're doing. I thank, for, thank you for how you're moving in this place. Lord, I know that there are people in this room that are making decisions right now. They're deciding whether or not this is true. And I ask right now in the name of Jesus that you would confirm this in their heart and that they would leave here today committed to taking their next step in this area because we want to see this stronghold come off our lives. We want to see it come off our church. In Jesus' name, we want it, God. I also want to ask a few of you this morning, whoever is here today, simply to ask, do you know that when you die, you'll spend eternity with God? And if you don't know that, if you haven't secured that in your life, I'm going to give you an opportunity to because the Bible says you can't. And then what I want you to do is work as hard as you can as get as many people to come with you as you can. But you got to start here. The Bible says that Jesus Christ came into this world to die on a cross for your sins. And it was there on that cross that he paid the penalty and the price for you to be set free, to be saved, to be delivered. And all you have to do is say yes. The Bible says that if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is who he says he is, that he will come in and he will save you. He will transform you. He'll give you purpose. He'll show you what it means for you to make a difference. I mean, he's going to do all of it. And he's going to bless you. I, my friends, I think that's a good deal. But he loves you, first and foremost. And so if that's you today, you're like, man, I don't know that for sure. I haven't settled that in my life. I'm ready to take that step. I just want you to raise your hand in just a moment. On the count of three, just raise it up for me. On the count of three, be bold. One, two, three. Go ahead, raise it up. Raise it up if you're, you're here today. Don't wait. God loves you. He wants that relationship with you. Okay. 
All right, church, let's all pray together. No one's praying alone in here. And so I just want to give people an opportunity to respond. And so let's pray this prayer together. Lord Jesus, we need you. (laughs) Will you forgive me of my sins? Will you be my Savior? Will you be my Lord? Transform me from the inside out. I choose this day to follow you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Come on, give him praise. We love it. We love it when people are making decisions for Jesus.